Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Ross Gassman, joined by my partner, Julia Marine, and we're the founders of Lineup Digital, an entertainment digital marketing agency specializing in live entertainment and music marketing. In the Lineup Digital podcast, we'll discuss entertainment marketing strategies that we've learned along the way and hear from the industry's top marketers, creatives, and owners. Together, we'll be taking a deep dive into the necessary marketing tactics, tips, and tricks that will help you sell out your next event or amplify your next release. So sit back, relax, enjoy the episode, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. Hey everyone, today's guest is Jesse Cannon. He's a record producer, artist manager, author, and music marketer. We're excited to discuss Jesse's experience as a music marketer and discuss the strategies and tactics he's seen success with. Jesse, welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome. We'd like to, you know, let you speak about what you do a little bit um, and kind of your experience in the music industry. Um, so if you want to share that, that'd be great. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Um, well, like you said, uh, what most people know me for is I've produced and mixed and mastered somewhere between 1500 and 2000 records over the last 20 years. Uh, but what I'm also known for is I used to manage some bands that got successful. Then I wrote a book about it. That's become one of the best-selling books on how to build a fan base. And uh, now I do a YouTube channel on that because no one reads anymore. And uh, yeah, and then aside from that, I make podcasts about bands and their stories, or I should say artists and their stories since it's more than bands. Uh, What else do I do? I run a podcast and live stream studio in Times Square and god it's hard to remember all the things i do in a day and i produce some successful podcasts that too yes uh that's my life and then i uh manage a couple of bands still yes nice i really did put this in front of me so i remember it (laughs) it's a solid solid resume Uh, (laughs) but yeah the the reason why we're here is is ultimately because your youtube channel uh muse formation and specifically the playlist you have uh how to grow your fan base from zero to 10k Mm -hmm. um that's where we kind of align um in our paths cross because we at lineup you know help artists and management and labels with release strategy um music marketing in general growing their overall brand or helping specifically with those album or single releases so that's why we wanted to have you on um kind of discuss and hear what you've seen work, um, your successes, and what you think you know the future holds. Um, especially during these times, there's a lot of yeah. interesting things being done. So again, that's why we wanted to have you on for our guests to hear um, and get some knowledge out of you. Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad you guys like that video. That's been uh, that video was a lot of what my thoughts had been in recent years, and I finally put them together, and it seems to have uh, done well. I. Personally, I love the playlist. I actually binge watched it the whole way through. I thought nice. it was um, I think we were just speaking about this before off camera, but you said you're also hosting another podcast. And based off this YouTube playlist, I was like, this is a gem hidden in the rough. This guy's going to blow up. So we needed to have him in the podcast before anyone else scooped him up, you know? Appreciate that. Jesse, I know there's an overwhelming amount of social platforms out there to promote yourself. Do you think you could give us the three best social channels that you've seen in your experiences to use? Yeah. uh, My 
ultimate take is that I think people get social media being as important as it is a little wrong now. I know I, I get a real contrarian corner look out of a lot of people when I say this. Uh, I really believe that message boards are what's moving so much of this and that we do need to see that as a social channel. Um, one of my most interesting experiences recently has been, and I can't fully name names, but you know, is seeing that very large artists are doing a lot of sock puppet work of, you know, going and having personalities that are in message boards that are essentially promoting their content and promoting the narrative that the management wants out for the artists. Now, um, I see for particularly the artists growing from zero to 10,000 fans that, so like my last job was I was at Atlantic records making documentaries on the group so we could tell their story a little better. And what I kept noticing is like all of these artists at some point found the right community. And like, this could be everything from like Porter Robinson and Maddie on meeting on a message board years ago. And then now they tour together and collaborate together. There's always these stories of that. You found some sort of, online community and things started to happen through that. And the community is always like, what I would say is like, if we're making a chili, like this is the beef, like this is, you know, the thing we want in every bite. Um, and I think people don't do enough work on that. Like the joke I like to say is like community is not putting fire emojis in people's DMS. Yes. It can be DMing somebody and saying, Hey, I like what you do when you start to build a bond together. But it's really personal relationships and finding the people you get along with. So one of the main videos I made is about how to find that community. I talk about targeting artists and then actually like going in and making a database so that you can keep building off of and finding it because there's so many times that artists don't know where that community is. And I do find they are in message boards, Facebook groups, Reddit groups. That's really where I see a lot of this being moved. Um, my second one would be undoubtedly YouTube. And I would say YouTube is probably equal to it. I just have a feeling that uh, most artists do not use YouTube half as well as they could be using it. I've been developing some videos on that. I feel very strongly that every artist who leans in harder on YouTube gets exponential results compared to the ones that don't lean into it. I particularly work with, um, on the mastering side of mastered a couple artists who uh really like just have numbers that are absolutely ridiculous and are now recently signed to major labels because their youtube engagement is so high because they just literally learned how to make those personal connections with it and then third uh i would say that instagram is it but i do think people think instagram performs more miracles than it actually does and that it's the exception that an artist really grows from instagram not the rule and that's really funny that you say that because we actually discovered you via a Reddit thread. Oh, uh, I don't know if you're aware of it, but people were linking out to your playlist, which is how we came across it. So I, I definitely think that's a channel where you get to be on a one-on-one -on -one basis with your fans, be more personable and speak to them on their level. And uh, the no fire emojis things, <laughs> I, I actually told Ross beforehand mm -hmm. that that was going to be the title of the podcast or that's what we should be. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I back that hard as fuck. <laughs> um, YouTube, I think all hands agree there. YouTube's still the largest music discovery platform there is. 
And Instagram, it's really a, a battlefield, I would say. But if you stick to your guns and you know what you're doing and you do it right and your brand is unified, then you can still kill on Instagram. And you won't have to be commenting artists or, sorry, <laughs> art emojis everywhere. Yeah. I, I think the, the thing is too, is like when I, when I down Instagram, it's that I think Instagram becomes a much bigger thing when you're past that 10,000 10, fans, because so many people see the consignment effect on Instagram. Whereas it's for smaller artists, they're banking on that, but it, it they put all this time into it and that time does not give a good ROI. Agree. I, I think it's, it's important to know, you know, when you are building that community at first, like, you need to be authentic. You can't be papering with mm -hmm. ads because it comes off inauthentic. But there is a certain point when you pass that 10,000 mark, right? In order yeah. to scale is where we find success. And you have to have right ad strategies and you have to be able to reach people that you wouldn't have reached before. But what, uh, what it all comes down to, you need to know your core fan base. And I think exactly what you said. You know, finding your community in these groups is very, very important and overlooked much of the time. So that being said, now that we've passed the 10,000 fan mark, your thoughts on, on amplification and advertising on Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, and if you have any favorites that you've you know used or seen success. Mm -hmm. uh, so I find that the biggest problem with this advice when you get past the 10,000 mark is that then every, let's call it, step of the ladder um so if we call the next ladder step thirty thousand fans the next ladder step fifty thousand fans that the genres are all really really different in what works so for example i manage a bunch of punk and emo bands advertising is the least effective thing you could ever do for those bands because their audience absolutely doesn't trust it but in pop and edm you can move numbers in that um it's what I tend to find is when you're scaling, and this is the hardest part of scaling, is that like the rules change so much the bigger it gets because you have to start targeting actual behaviors of large clusters of people, whereas early adopters in most genres behave really similar that like you have these people who are rabidly into a certain genre and they will listen to absolute dog shit. But if you're doing good stuff, they're going to be even more passionate for you and you're going to get easier adoption. But really like it's funny like you know i desecrate people because like there's so many of these youtube guys who just are like facebook ads facebook ads facebook ads it's like mm, it's not what works at the bottom and that's not what works in every genre um but what i do think works in every genre is starting to be is just that the steady stream of music the singles thing all that it, it, every genre even dad rock will be there in about two years. <laughs> so, so just to go off your, what you just said about a steady stream of singles, you know, I, in one of your videos, you do advocate for don't drop an album right away. That's, mm -hmm. you know, you're losing a lot of marketing power, which is a very valid point. Mm -hmm. um, would you, would you care to expand on, you know, kind of the music release strategy? Um, this is kind of what we talk about with our clients as well um, in how to make, you know, content last a while. Um, and not really splurge all at once and then have nothing in the tank to, to keep you going. So 
every marketing person will talk now about the attention economy. It's I saw something like it's like the fastest growing word in marketing things. And you know, to that sounds ridiculous when you're a musician because you like you're like I, I don't get it. But what they're really saying here is is that everybody's fighting for for attention, so you have to always capitalize on that by giving the fans something that they can get hooked into and then hopefully become addicted. So the analogy I use in my book is um, like the chicken sample in the mall uh, for the Chinese place that they're going to give you a sample then they hope you're going to come back and eat a full meal very regularly a couple days a week when you're at the mall in the food court. Um, what I see with music now is that like it's one so hard to even get the person to come over and try the chicken uh, because there's every outlet in the mall is trying to give somebody that chicken. So if you actually get the chance that, then we have to hope one, the chicken's good. And then two though, if they like it, there's gotta be more. Now, the other thing is, is the more you're out there with that employee standing out there, the more chances you have to do it. So, but you don't have chances. You can't just keep promoting the same single because all your followers will get annoyed by it. You have to have something new. So my thing is, is that taking the time to invest in new content, you know, I, it's very easy to point to um, Lil Nas X, but I think, you know, like the one philosophy that he really showed that I don't see discussed enough is that he kept just developing different pieces of content around that song every fucking day. And that was really the lesson of him that I don't see almost a year later people having learned is that he sat there every day going, how am I going to find a new way to talk about this song until it broke? That sounds great. So, Jesse, we recently put out a list of our favorite music marketing tools. What are some hmm. of your go-tos? Hmm. Okay. I, I really like show.co for broke musicians because the free tier can let you do some good follow gating to build your Spotify. Um, during COVID, chart metrics features are very free for DIY artists, which is awesome because you can do tons of split playlist uh, marketing on there. Um, what was the one? You know, all right, hold on. I'm going to look this up. I was just playing with something before. Uh, that was cool. Dailyplaylist.com. That was interesting. I won't, won't say that it's my favorite so far, but that shows a lot of promise. And, um, what is what is that exactly? Can you explain what free, that one is? Free playlist submission tool. So what's good about it is it really was relevant when I went in the genres. Um, mm -hmm. These playlists were actually like pretty legit for some of the genres. I did everything from like ambient chill to punk to like pop. There were some good playlists in there. Like I did the thing, but the one thing that makes me curious, you know, obviously we all know the thing of that um, with a playlist placement that you're not getting lasting fans. You're just getting somebody who listened to one song a lot of the time. Um, and those numbers don't drive a lot of engagement or lasting fans. Um, this, whenever you submit to the playlist, it makes you follow it. So I'm worried that some of those numbers are going to be a little inflated. Um, you know, uh, truthfully, uh, as far as tools go for me, the funny thing is, is I guess my underestimated ones is to talk about that community the way I find it. I use Google Alerts and TalkWalker and this thing called Mention a lot to find who's writing about the similar artists, the artists I'm working with. And then I find like, oh, I didn't know this website existed. Oh, they have 10,000 people who are watching them every day. Oh, cool. Okay. You know, I should get my artist on there. Um, that is really driving for me. Um, tweet deck searches 
to find doing the same thing, targeting different terms, uh, move pretty good mountains for us finding who to acquire, which fans to follow, things like that, to start to find that community as well. That really uh, helps a lot. Yeah, that Google Great. alert hack that you mm -hmm. just talked about, and obviously we got from your playlist, I immediately employed that. I thought that was awesome. I didn't know Google had that functionality, and it's free and easy to use. So mm -hmm. uh, to our listeners, definitely look that one up as well as all the others. I think one of the most obvious tools is Spotify as mm. well. Yes. What would your ultimate goal in KPI be in order to grow your fan base or your followers on, on Spotify? So Spotify really does come down to that regular content thing of like feeding into single very regularly, making sure you did it four weeks before having a good pitch. Um, that is so crucial. Uh, I think that that's the biggest you know, it's like funny, the hardest thing seems to be that uh, artists don't know how to tell their story. And this is something I've been really trying to figure out how to do. And like one of the things I've been saying, um, my girlfriend particularly is friends with a million music writers. It's like a miracle when one of her friends isn't one. Um, but a lot of them are out of work now. Um, I mean, the layoffs are insane. And those people know how to tell a story about the boringest artists because that's what they basically do for a living. So like approaching some music writers who've written about your favorite bands and seeing if they're willing to write you a bio, even though they won't be able to write about you anymore, probably out of their ethics, uh, can be a great thing because if you learn how to tell your story and do those pitches, that can be crucial. But another thing I've been really saying with Spotify with people is like, you know, I'm a record producer. I've made a lot of songs and it's so hard because you believe in a song so much that you don't want to see it as just the lead up for your next one, but every song is the lead up for the next one. And we do have to remember that. And if one of them takes off and you know, you had something special, I mean, the amount of groups, like I always tell the story of like, obviously Macklemore re-released some songs after the other ones got big and made them a single again, you can do the same thing. So I, I see Spotify as a thing of that. You're like one trying to build, but you can always take that Jenga peg and put it at the top again. Yeah. That's a really good point about re-releasing stuff. You know, a, a lot of music can go unheard until you get that one that pops and re-releasing it is another, it's a great strategy actually um, to think about going forward when, you know, putting out more content. Um, and I think I, you touch on this as well. And it's part of the Spotify and, and your goal for Spotify is obviously, you know, gaining followers rather than listens because once you gain the followers you're constantly becoming on your whenever you put a new song you're automatically added to the release radar um discover weeklies and i think that's a big kpi a lot of people overlook and they rather focus on the streams um streams is great obviously uh for the short term long term it's not as as good as uh as focusing on the followers which brings me to my next point when pitching for playlists one thing you mentioned and we 100% agree with and we put it in our in our post is that never ever 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 pay for a playlist oh, yeah. um, because like you said earlier a lot of them are inflated followers they make you follow to you know listen to the playlist and a whole bunch of scam stuff so we kind of want to hear your opinion and tell the listeners why you know your thoughts on on, on paying for play basically and how that you know you shouldn't do that I mean 
the biggest thing I try to watch, and like I'm lucky I get to talk to tons of smart people like you guys, is that I try to watch where the origin stories come from of artists who break. And what I never have heard ever is I paid to be on a playlist and then I got fans because it was just bots. Bots listen that these people have learned the con. They, you know, like every iteration of the music business, there's someone, you know, like I heard a saying years ago, like that, uh, if you want to make money in the music business, it's by capitalizing off the dreams of musicians. This is where the scammers are and you have to do this the right way. There is legitimate avenues. There's right ways to do things. And I think this, this has always been true in the music business too, but this part of it is just so bad because people see numbers and then they get hope and then that hope's crushed when it doesn't turn anything. And I think that also is why a lot of people are like play with promotions, not cracked up to all it's all it's cracked up to be is that like, yeah, you can see a ton of engagement from a bot in Mexico city <laughs> that didn't do anything for you um, because yeah. it wasn't a person listening to it. And it is why so many of these numbers and Spotify is let's call it say doing it an okay job of getting some of them. I saw some of the bigger things recently got taken down uh, that were doing this, but it's, you know, you want the biggest thing is, is people want to see that number. They want to feel validated and they don't care how that comes. It used to be like, you know, I remember an artist I worked for, we paid for 3 million YouTube plays for $500. It didn't never did anything for them because that doesn't get you fans. Yeah. And now people can see right through that, uh, yeah. or at least most people. And, and what we try to install in our clients as well is like, you know, it's a, it's a long-term play. So if you're going to mm -hmm. spend $200 to get your song playlisted, great but it's not going to do anything for you in the long term. Rather invest that in a solid strategy and put some money to TikTok, put some money to Instagram, put some on Spotify ad studio, which is really where your brand awareness takes place. And, and that's ultimately will, will, will grow your following in the long run. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Ross and I were in a webinar the other day with, uh, I think some marketing leads at Spotify. And this was a huge topic obviously, because, most attendees were artists and they were telling us horror stories about how these artists were actually getting banned completely mm -hmm. from Spotify itself. And that, you know, that's really sad to just have your dream taken advantage of for no reason. They also went on to explain how uh, you shouldn't be emailing or trying to find the actual uh, playlist admins who have sort of become celebrities nowadays because apparently they're not even allowed to open those emails it's it's just from discovery on spotify itself so i think that's oh. a, a good tip for any artists listening i had not heard that that's that's really interesting that they're now discouraging that because at one point i know like you know i mean i've gotten things placed by emailing people but that is interesting that they just want them to look at the algorithm or there's you're saying this is editorial not curators exactly Okay. Yes. That makes sense. Yes. Curators, you could email editorial. You do not want to email. Yeah. Yeah. So that submission through Spotify. Yeah. So moving away from Spotify, Jesse, what other digital marketing and advertising efforts would you say are key in promoting your upcoming releases? So what I've been trying to say to people is you have to like reverse engineer the demographic and think about the fan a lot. So like a great example is like, if I work with a, somebody who makes more of like 30 year old rock, 
I'm going to actually tell them to do radio promo right now because no one's doing that right now. And that's where those people still live. Like, you know, uh, I've had some really good luck with doing radio promotion programs because now they cost nothing because all those companies are about to go out of business and they're trying to just get some last change before they're gone. Um, so much of this is finding what's the exploit to get to a particular audience. I think the other thing people don't do enough is think regional. Um, now that we just see how easy it is to do Facebook ads and just target on a certain thing is that, uh, a good strategy I've seen with a lot of people is like, you know, you pick three colleges close to you and not only are you going to wheat paste your concert there, you're going to push uh, all your promotion dollars just around those three universities. And it's crazy. Like, you know, like I learned this cause like I do a lot of work with politics. This is what politics does is like they hyper target little regions of things and then saturate one area to try to then boost it because they know that it'll spread out from there. They find what's the influential stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I try to go as, uh, small a locality at first as possible and then push out now because while doing national can be a good net if you're able to especially if you're a live performer able to perform uh on those places that can really really help yeah and and honestly, that's what they know now <laughs> i loved how you actually brought up the swat analysis um mm -hmm. in your videos when you say reverse engineer, that's basically what a SWOT analysis is. It's just analyzing your key demographics and seeing how you could amplify and uh, target other untapped audiences. I also love the regional strategy that you employed. I thought that was great, such as uh, even putting poster bands in community centers and just spreading that awareness and that hype to you know, the punk emo kids who are like passing by. So I thought that was... Yeah. I thought that was especially cool. Yeah. I mean, it's funny if like, you're like a Lord type artist, like let's say like, and you're going to appeal to liberal arts kids, you find those liberal arts things. If you're making party rock anthems, you find the party schools and you do the thing. Like it is, you could usually type in that town name because it's going to have over 30,000 people for your Facebook ads and you're getting much better targeting than you usually could have. And those people are going to tell the people back in their hometown, you know, the best thing about 20 year old kids is they spit in a different way because they go back home. They have friends that they've made somewhere else and that goes all around and it can really work well. So what would you say the major differences are for established versus up and coming artists? Would they both be employing these strategies or is there not really any difference? I actually think that this is a strategy that scales, uh, pretty well. Just obviously, um, you know, it's like the thing of like, you know, like one of, uh, the acts I work with has about a, depending on how off albums, like whether like a one to 300,000 a month, uh, monthly listens. And like what we will do is we will target those key cities first, see how that goes for two weeks and then decide whether to expand do some lower down ones, but you know, really getting into those analytics and seeing where your audience has responded. Whereas when you haven't found your audience yet, you're having to be either one looking at what the groups that are similar to you doing it or just guessing and feeling it out. That's one of the most unfortunate disadvantages you have when you're a younger artist. But whereas like I can go in and look and go, okay, New Orleans, this, this, and this, these are obvious 
uh, easy wins for us. Um, I think that that is the biggest difference with when you get past that 10,000 mark is you could start, you know, like I think the biggest problem so many musicians have is like, they don't know how to be proactive at first. Whereas it gets to be that you can do a lot of easy wins by just being reactive. Once you got the ball rolling. That's great. And uh, give us some of your feedback when, you know, when this happens and, and bands get, they start like getting success and they see a lot of their, their fans growing, but there's a certain point where they get too comfortable and they're not trying these new strategies that, you know, you're imploring. Um, and they start to plant the, the fans start to plateau. Right. So what's oh, the yeah. next step to get over that hump into, in order to grow their fan base in other markets that they're not getting uh, recognition. In? Well, so the big, big thing is like, you got to, two fronts there is that you want to have the psychological battle is that you know the second the group receives success there's going to always be people tell telling them bad advice to stay comfortable to just do what they want to do to do the thing that's easy especially because burnout is so i mean it's impossible to not get burnt out doing this like when i look at a group like the 1975 who've been on tour for you know seven years i think it is now uh, either making a record or on tour the whole time, aside from when the singer went to rehab for two months. Um, it's horrible to like, think about how much you have to stay up on top of this, but there is a thing of like, you know, just like the SWOT analysis, I try to really stay with all of my business stuff, uh, conscious of that, uh, that proactive reactive balance of like, you got to devote different times of the day. And it's so hard sometimes when it's like, you know, like I'm having one of those days, like I've been working this entire day since I woke up, I'm going to probably work till the last hour I'm awake um, on a fucking Sunday because I have so many things I have to react to that. It's like, Oh, well, if you don't do this, that's going to blow up. You don't do this. You don't do this. And I have no time to really do the proactive stuff. But like for years I wasn't being proactive and that's why I started this YouTube channel. So I was like, talking to the same people and now I'm meeting new awesome people like you guys. I'm doing these things and I'm finally out there and you do have to sit there and like you actually like one of the smartest things I saw working at Atlantic uh, was a thing I had done and then not really taken seriously but then I saw a lot of successful people is they did divide their to-do list up into proactive versus reactive because they know they have to balance it. Yeah. I think it's important to put the right team around you as well, because oh, yeah. if you're the band and you're the musicians, you, you're paying attention to the music and very rarely you're going to have the business aspect side of it as well. So it is very important to have the right manager, right? If you have a label running your marketing, the right marketing people um, that understand your brand and, and can show, you know, new fans what you're all about, or in our case, hire the right agency um, mm -hmm. to help you grow I your fan base. It is interesting because I, what I would argue is I've almost never met a successful musician who doesn't have some at least idea on how to, um, look at the business. And like what I call it is like, you're almost like a, a scout of some of the business ideas. So like a lot of the groups I've worked with are bringing back to management what they heard from somebody else they were hanging out with. And that is an important skill. Like, you know, like, Seeing at Atlantic, some of the people who were just totally devoid of thought, like just fucking moron artists, they really wouldn't go anywhere because they can't bring that part to their team. And that is part of their thing. Whereas like some of the people I saw massively blow up while I was there were like, 
Hey, I was just on the phone with Janelle Monet. She said, she's trying this. Why aren't we doing that? And there is a thing that that is like, I even, you know, when, when I started in this, like, you know, I was like working with Limp Bizkit a lot and there was no one more talented than Fred at being a investigator of what everybody's doing that's working and then taking those techniques and putting his spin on it. It's, it's, it's just being curious. That's all it yep. is. Uh, that's exactly right. If you, if you stop being curious, you're not going to grow. Yep. And, and life, business, music, whatever it is. So that's, that, that's definitely an important point for sure. So Jesse, uh, you also mentioned in your videos how the content that artists need to put out basically need to be a visualization of who they are as an artist and the pieces that they need to put out also need to represent the releases or support the release strategy. Do you think you could expand on this a little bit more? Yeah. So, I mean, yet again, to be a fanboy, um, the 1975 are like one of the greatest iterators of this is that like they know exactly how to show their fans through subtle things, what era they're in, what emotion they're in, their subtle Easter eggs and callbacks. And like so much of building a fan base, like, you know, like the funniest thing is like when you're in a band that's really successful is the most annoying thing is how much some of the fans read into it. And then there's like rumors about things that you're like, we didn't mean to say that in that fucking video. You guys are making this up. You're just seeing something that's not there. But in addition to that, you have to be building a universe for them. And, you know, I really do mean it as a universe of like that. There's little pieces of you and you have to look at yourself and figure out how you make a metaphor for that in your art. And like, that really is everything to like going, you, this record feels more green than the last one. And you're going to use more green colors in the videos and the art. That really is so much of what gives fans what, cause like I always think of also the reverse engineering, like one that makes you a great artist. So it makes people more interested in you. And then two, it gives fans things to discuss. And the more they're talking about you, the more other friends hear about you and decide to break down and say, all right, I got to know who this is. I got to understand them better so I can talk to that person that I want to be talking to about the thing they're interested in. And world building in this stuff is just so crucial and it does not get the attention it gets yet. Every time I'm lucky enough to be in a room with, uh, you know, an artist who's doing really well at that. Like I think of, uh, when I was making uh, an episode of my podcast Atlantic with like wallows who are just killing the game, they were so conscious of this world building and you know, it's really paid off for them. They're really seeing, especially for a rock group, they're seeing huge, huge growth. And like some people could say, Oh, well, he's on a big TV show. It's like they started off pretty damn small and that growth is exponential when that TV show is not really moving the marker anymore. Yeah. Someone uh, who I've seen is, almost the epitome of this of this statement of the visualization um is billy eilish i don't know what it was i think it was a youtube video that adobe put out and she basically explains how from the second she writes a song she knows what the album cover looks like she knows what the music video looks like she knows what her outfit performing looks like so it's mind-blowing to even think that um but you've seen the rapid success that she's been able to accomplish and it's definitely attributed to the whole visualization and her fan base understanding who she is and you know her songs are great but everything yeah. else that comes with it is just as great which is which is crazy 
Yeah, and you, you know what's funny is if you watch the Pitchfork put, put out a video with Phineas this week, and it's so funny because it's a circle too, is that they, like when you listen to him talk about how he made those songs, it's all reiterating the emotions that they've already discussed. Like they have this touchstone uh, and then they're just literally every part of it stems from what that touchstone is of the initial idea of like, we're trying to evoke this emotion, the, the flip on the idea that she's the bad guy. Okay. What does that world look like? How do I show that? And it's incredible how good the two of them have gotten in their team at like building that world out. I mean, obviously she has a creative director. She has lots of things, but you know, you can do that with a small team if you like so much of this is and it's like what my video is the week after this is like it's sitting around with your team and discussing these things and thinking at getting inspired looking how people did it and then filling in those blanks of how you do that for yourself so i guess that leads me to our next question so one big thing that we really haven't touched on and i think it's just uh as a product of our situation right now but how does that extend into artists building their fan base while touring? You know, now that everything's on hold and I guess we could also speak on during or when the economy gets back together, you know, and we're not in this situation. What are some new marketing tactics that you've seen artists deploy during COVID? And what are some of the tactics that you see staying that can be used after? Well, I think the most interesting thing we've seen is that I, I mean, I could literally say it. Like, I, I've been in major label marketing meetings where we talked about live streaming, and the person would get the eye, like, "Are you trying to get fired?" And obviously, that's big now because now you have a captive audience, which was the flaw in it. But I really think that the big thing now is going to be is that like, co tours or co-signments. They have the name of your person. They're saying like, "When you come to the show, I endorse this person." doing collaborations doing things together and even if it is as simple as going live on instagram and having a chat with somebody that you like artistically and that you're friends with artistically that is going to be marketing for the duration of this um is crossing audiences and building a community and i i will say this too is like there's nothing more powerful and it always this is i mean it goes back to the 70s of like when you know two rock stars are, are doing this, there's a reason that publicists sit there and you know will float that maybe these two are dating a million times when they know damn well they're not dating because it gets fans talking. Cosigns and commingling of fan bases uh, is literally about the only powerful leg we now have to stand on. You know, on Friday night, my girlfriend and I we made a nice meal and we watched one of those minecraft concerts that 100 gex did it was great music got the visual got pretty boring after about hour 45 minutes or so but uh you know i don't think that this is going to be the lasting thing but what is going to be the lasting thing is throwing events together i do think is going to be here to stay like the coolest thing about that 100 gex thing was they and I, you know, like this is a thing I stress to people is like the one that Minecraft did with like American football and Ananamaguchi and all these works, it was like a little too diverse. Whereas a hundred gecks got basically their entire scene. Charlie XCX, Guppy and Fraxium, who I love, like um Cashmere Cat and Benny Blanco, like all these people who like weird electronic music 
and brought them all together. And then they're doing remixes of each other's songs and being iterative and giving the fan base a narrative around the yeah. whole scene they're in. That's, that's fucking genius. Yeah. It's, uh, there's definitely a lot of, of collaboration. This is definitely what that would have never happened if everything was going as normal. People were touring, everyone's busy in their own their own thing. But that's a great point. I mean, a lot of collaboration has been happening and a lot of cross-pollination of fan bases, um, which has really made music discovery during this time crazy. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, going forward, there's I think marketing teams are now kind of challenged to to really stay ahead of the curve and and really come up with different ideas on how to market things. Like, I don't know, today, for example, I thought of, um, you know, there could be album release parties now. I don't know who, oh, knows yeah. how long, who knows how long we'll be in this, but, you know, if someone is releasing an album next Friday, that an artist, you know, makes a certain amount of slots and they do, you know, selling $10 tickets to be part of their, their album release party, which no one would ever do before this, um, a virtual, album release party i think there's definitely a lot of interesting concepts that could be taken and really you know scaled into the future um, due to all of this yeah i i like that album release party idea a lot because i think that that is going to be the thing is that like you know maybe it is that you do this so that you the opening act is you pass the camera to somebody's zoom in another city. I, I, I kind of love that. And like, and maybe it even is too, is that you do some storyteller thing or something like that, you know, connecting fans with your story is so, so huge. So that can be yeah. really, really huge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So wrap this up, I guess. Um, just kind of tell us what are you kind of working on now? What's the future look like for you for Muse formation? Uh, Jesse Cannon as a person, we just want to hear what you, what you got. Uh, so I just put out the 2020 edition of my book, Get More Fans, uh, which I updated every year because so much changes. Uh, and that kind of serves as a companion to the YouTube in that it's like a million things that I would never put a video out about. Uh, so there's that. Uh, I produced this podcast that's now a top 10 podcast on the pandemic and politics called The New Abnormal. Uh, so I'm working really hard on that because I needed a job during this that was a little bit more stable since all the musician money is dried up. Um, I just produced some fun records. Uh, I just did the new Witch Taint record, which is a bunch of guys who make music on John Oliver did a satirical uh, black metal band. I think I said produce. I mixed that record. Uh, I just did a great record with a band named Hot Knife. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, what I really focus on is two days a week. I'm building out what I like to think of as the like most thorough database playlist of music ideas. I hope like by the year's end, I want like my kind of goal is to obsolete the idea of going to music business school with like all the information and interviews I can do in this, uh, for free because i think that information should be free i think it's ridiculous to that people pay eighty thousand dollars for educations like this um because most of the real information is irrelevant by the time they get out of college so uh yeah i'm hoping to do that and um yeah if you want to uh follow what i do it's use formation on youtube and i'm at jesse cannon on all the socials all right, Jesse. Well, we just wanted to thank you for coming on to our show. Um, we think, you know, you're definitely going to blow up and we're so excited to see how this year pans out if we make it 
to 2021. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that very much. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to thank you again. Yeah, thank you, Jesse. I think uh, we definitely got a lot of useful information out of it. We definitely learned something. We hope our listeners um, got, some, got some useful information out of it. We will put your links in the description. Um, as well as some of your, I know we didn't mention it, but your checklists and some of the resources that you provide um, in your YouTube videos uh, in the description as well. So again, thank you. We appreciate it. We hope you know all the best for you in the future and we'll definitely be here to, to cheer you on. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.